Welcome fellow culturers to the Exhibitionist podcast. I'm Catherine from Cultural Wednesday. And I'm Vicky from Museum Mum. Together, we are co-hosts on this friendly insider's guide to the best exhibitions, museums and historic places to visit in London and beyond. Between us, we visit hundreds of cultural places a year. We're here to share what we've seen so you know what's worth the travel. So get ready to fuel your curiosity and wanderlust with the Exhibitionist. This week, we're taking a look at the best exhibitions to see in London this summer, 2023. But first, how are you, Vicky? Oh, I'm all right, Catherine. I'm uh, very excited that we're in front of a microphone for the first time and ready to talk about all things culture. Absolutely. Well, my um, first exhibition that um, I would like to talk about is Anselm Kiefer, Finnegan's Wake. Oh, what a fantastic choice. Have you seen it? Uh, Yes, I saw it last week and I absolutely was blown away. Um, But yeah, maybe you could uh, describe it for people who haven't seen it yet. It is. It's, you just, you walk into a long corridor filled with, it looks like post-industrial waste and then the odd sort of double helix And then there are rooms that lead off that have beautiful paintings. And in the middle of each room is is more post-industrial waste. It's amazing. It's his response to Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce, which is possibly one of the nastiest, not nastiest, worst books I've ever read. (laughs) Well, at least you've read it, Catherine. Um... Yeah, no, I did. I read it. I read it when I was reasonably young and at a time when I always finished every book I started and I waded through it and there were flashes of brilliance that gave you hope and then you just waded through more treacle really and it it is it's the best piece of literary criticism I've ever seen. Um, well, I've not read it, and you don't definitely don't have to have read it for the show. Um, it's it's Kiefer's kind of response to the book, which he says I think he says he's never finished, or if so, never understood, but is stayed with him for many many decades. And um, so you don't have had to have read the book or know anything about it. I think the, it really does speak for itself. It's quite an immersive space to walk into, you know, when you walk through the lead curtains, and like you said, you've got all this racking, which kind of reminded me of a museum store but a very dusty not like any museum store I've ever seen it's full of these artworks these kind of sculptures and um and sort of motifs that you might have seen in his other works but then like you said off there in the rooms that you see there's well there's that one with that giant pile of sand and shopping trolleys um and then there's uh there's the one where it's it's almost like a like a kind of concrete bunker has you know, kind of being demolished and chucked in the middle of the floor with a, a lot of uh, barbed wire around it. But it's it's kind of, it's very beautiful and, and kind of contemplative and, and moving even within this kind of post-war um, dereliction in some ways. Yeah, no, it's just marvellous. I, I really sort of, I, I didn't know what to expect before I walked in and walked out with a huge grin on my face. And it's free. I mean, so that's you. It always, always aids the the grinning with joy when you walk out of anywhere. But um, 
And it's got, I think, paintings, because I think before I've seen some of his works, but not really understood them. But once you see it in this kind of space, they, you really start to see how they, how, about his paintings and how they work together. You know, the room where he had, was it 12 canvas? Yes. Um, all together. And there's just these giant, thick, rich canvas, which are, you know, not, not quite abstract, but, you know, the kind of texture of them um, and the kind of, you know, you've got that gold and that verdigris and then you've got yes. this kind of brown, very thick. It's almost like a like a kind of pottery varnish. No, and also um, it, it felt it felt quite rural because of the, I suppose, the green and the gold, sort of a maybe a sort of a dawn feeling in amongst all the sort of post-industrial chaos. I know we both like a bit of, you know, kind of um, sort of uh, industrial heritage. So I think that kind of appealed to us. It made me think of the, uh, you know, um, the, the sort of um, Second World War decaying concrete bunkers in Normandy when you walked into the into that particular room. But also the canvas, the canvas in that room where they he had all of the um, artist palettes kind of coming out of it, suspended from it. That was such a surprise. I didn't see them all until I got closer. And then you had all of these snakes and, uh, you know, things and hidden there. And yeah. there's just so much detail um and and also he's you know bits of the bits of the book he's written you know you find kind of hidden throughout the space you know they're kind of um through the sand and then written on the there's the room um which is very well lit which is more more like a kind of museum store as well with yes. the high ceilings you, you find it kind of written there um I, I just think it was it was so surprising and intriguing and definitely worth a visit. Yes. Um, I'm going to move on to the next. Oh, what should we say? So that one. So Ansel Kiefer runs at White Cube Bermondsey until 20th of August and it's free. So next one is also free. And over at the National Gallery, it's um, St. Francis. And this one, I think you and our friend Sue, hi Sue if you're listening, <clears throat> have both told me you have to see this. So I think you you kind of had to talk me into it because St. Francis of Assisi is, is not, I'll be honest, a subject that would naturally pull me into a show. Um, but when I went to see it, again, I was just really impressed by the exhibition and just the storytelling in it and it really brings to life for a modern audience especially someone like me who genuinely prefers modern art I think it really does bring together um you know um that story so you probably know more about it though in yeah, you, know, you I, like your I, church I, art because I, I absolutely love church art um and so for me it was sort of it's almost the perfect exhibition because it's got it's got modern responses to spirituality and St Francis and just sublime art uh, it's just amazing i thought and it, it goes all the way through to cartoons as well i um and my my absolute highlight that it has one of his actual robes that that he the man wore and it's just a rough woolen, must have been really, really itchy monk's robe. But it's encased in this incredible golden baroque frame, um, which is sort of so unlike his sort of poverty and the vows of poverty that he took. Uh, just, I, I thought, incredible. 
It was. And that relic was really moving. Um, and, and it just brought it back to that he was a real person because often, you know, it's kind of almost like a mythological story sometimes. And so when you actually, uh, you know, see something that someone wore um, that has been preserved for hundreds and hundreds of years, textile is very difficult to, to keep for that long. Yeah, I, I thought that was, I was surprised by how moved I was by that. But the actual, you know, the first thing you see when you go in, first of all, it's got that fantastic living green wall, which just smells amazing. Yes. Uh, but then you walk in and the first room is more or less all modern art, really, isn't it? And specially um, commissioned as well. Yes. So you've got the, the um, is it Richard Long on the right-hand side? Yes. The artist, who's, his, he, he did his own kind of pilgrimage, didn't he, this quiet time uh, and created these um, sort of circular word poems which uh, respond to that. Uh, but then also right in the middle of the room, you've got, um, you know, that giant sculpture. Um, God, what's his name? My name's oh, no, I'm frantically, man who does casts. Yeah, he literally does one thing, Vicky. That's all you have to remember. Yes, for. I know. <laughs> oh. Anthony Gormley. Anthony, that's right. So let's go. Back there to we that go. Yeah, that, that's it. So, you know, when you say go see Francis of Assisi, it's the National Gallery. You, you expect to walk in and see lots of 14th, 15th century church paintings, but actually, you walk in and the first thing you see is a giant. Anthony Gormley cast, um, which is inspired by one of the poses that Francis of Assisi is often portrayed in, um, and then and then this wall art, and his by... stigmata. Yes, that's it. Yeah, um, no, I thought amazing. So St Francis is on at the National Gallery until the 29th of October, and oh no, it's not. It's on until the 30th of July. 30th of July, and it's free. So. I'm going to move on to the next one. And I'm going to, this. you haven't seen this, Vicky. I'm going to try and persuade you that you really, really need to go and see Crown to Couture at Kensington Palace. I might not take that much persuading, but I'd love to hear more about it for sure. So it is absolutely, it's just, it's stuffed full of fabulous frocks, um, both fabulous frocks from, from olden times and Met Gala frocks worn by absolute top-notch stars. And it's all set in the staterooms of Kensington Palace. So just incredible, amazing rooms, almost done as a red carpet walk. And the dresses are phenomenal. The work that's gone into them, you just look and think... Oh my word! How how did they actually even make that? And how did you wear it? In some cases, I thought it was I've, stunning. I've got a question for you. How does that? Because obviously, it's starting from you know it's in a royal palace. So how did they make that connection between couture and high fashion today and the Met Gala with the the palace location? Tenuously, if I'm if I'm honest. Um, does it matter? <laughs> no, because I, I, I don't think it does matter. Because I think that I, th I think that the premise is that previously it was royals and the court that wore the fabulous frocks, and now that's moved on. It's moved on to to stars on the Met Gala and red carpets, and that's where you see the amazing gowns. So I think that that's the that's the link, um, but just absolutely incredible dresses in the most amazing setting 
Oh, well, look, I really want to see that one. Part of the reason I haven't been, and this is a tip for people listening, is make sure you book because it is selling out, it is very popular. And every time I've tried to book, all of the time slots I could make are in the next few days have gone. So, but I will report back, Catherine, when I when I do make it there. Yeah. And that one, this one really is on until the 29th of October. It costs £24.50, which includes... Um, entrance into Kensington Palace. There are other rooms that you can see whilst you're there. Uh, and if you are an Art Fund member, which I am and Vicky is, it's half price. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, I'll definitely report back on that one. Um, well, Catherine, I've got a question for you. Um, do you like sequins? I love sequins. Yeah, I'm going to try and convince you to see Ashish fall in love and be more tender at the William Morris Gallery. That's which... quite a title. It's it's quite breathtaking. It's his first ever solo show. So if you haven't heard of him yet, you definitely will. He's been a fashion designer for the last 20 years. He's born in Delhi, but he works in East London. And it's got such a great combination of street style, style but also um, high fashion and couture and also artisan making. Because w- what he's renowned for, really, his signature style, is these incredibly sequined works. Um but, but they're all playful and with quite a twist. So he takes, for example, a high-vis vest and makes it completely of sequins. And it's, so it's that combination of, of beauty, but also wit, which I just absolutely loved. Um, and he takes things, for example, there's a, instead of an M&S carrier bag being carried, it's an S&M very glittery carrier bag <laughs> that one of the mannequins is carrying. So there's a lot of humour in it, but also a bit of politics as well. Um, for example, uh, one of his works is... Uh, more glitter, less Twitter, which is a response to Donald Trump and his time in power. Um, and also that idea of being an immigrant. One of his most famous works is um, says is a T-shirt which has immigrant on it, which is included. Um, but overall, it's just so playful and funny. Um, there's, I think, 60 pieces in there. There's also specially commissioned photography and a video which explores how the works are made and the relationship Um, between London and the artisans who make it in India as well. Um, And you're just going to go away with a huge smile on your face. You've been to William Morris Gallery before, but those who haven't, it's a a sort of Georgian home, childhood home of William Morris in Walthamstow. It's such a lovely place to go. There's a big park, there's a really nice cafe, and it's just a lovely outing. And I guarantee that you will walk away happy. Uh, you had me at cafe. I shall definitely, I'll definitely be heading east to go and see that one then. Definitely. But, um, and for my, because I know there'll be a lot of family listeners listening to me. They do have some family events coming up. Um, they run them quite regularly. There's a trail. So I, I've been actually three times now to the show. Um, the last time I went, I went with my daughter. There's a children's tra- trail around the gallery. And if you complete it, you get a little rainbow badge and it's all free, which is really sweet. And they also have some family shows uh coming up so they have a family day on the 29th of July which is a rainbow story time for Waltham Forest Pride so um, so if you've got kids and you're looking for something to take them to this summer this is a, a great thing to see. Okay so it's at the William Morris Gallery um, how much is it? It's free it's completely free and it's oh. on until the 10th of September. Excellent okay well next one I think we we have differing differing views on yeah why don't you say yes um so why don't you say what number five we thought might be and then uh maybe you can convince me it should be on the list yeah but Hilma Afklimt and Mondrian 
And then there's a subheading, which I've not written down, which is useful, really useful. Hilma Afklint and Mondrian both worked at about the same sort of time as each other. They both started off as landscape artists and moved on to abstraction, but they never met each other and they don't seem to have been aware of each other's work. And so the dialogue between them in the exhibition was, well, it felt forced because it was utterly, is utterly non-existent. I, I, I would have been really happy with a Mondrian exhibition and I would have been really happy with a Hilma F. Clint exhibition. But I'd never heard of Hilma before. So I can see that maybe they need Mondrian on the ticket to get people through the door. Um, Perhaps it's worth saying why you think it should be in the six, because this bit I think I might agree with you about. Yeah, because Hilma Afklint is amazing, absolutely incredible. I I loved her works, that they, the abstraction are, it, it feels organic and flowing. It's not jagged in a way that sometimes abstract art can be. And the final room has, is just filled with huge, vast canvases that are, well, they're yellow, in which is my absolute favourite colour. And it's just a room of complete joy. And so to to wander around that room, to sit in that room is amazing being, for me, being introduced to a new artist of just amazing, beautiful, beautiful work. And for that, for me, it's worth it. And kind of, this is where I agree with you. That final room was something spectacular. So these were the works that she'd created for the temple that she wanted to do. And they're all about her, um, kind of her her beliefs about uh, mysticism and uh, and things like that. And they, they really spoke to me. They seem so fresh, yeah. just the way they're done. There's so much movement in them um, and, and joy and happiness. And I sat there and you could see, in fact, everyone I saw, when they got to the end, they sat, they chatted, they had selfies. Um, I spoke to one woman who was re- um, responded to them by dance. She was actually making movements in front of the work because that's how they spoke to her. And so I absolutely love that. What I hated was every single room before it. <laughs> I felt, I didn't feel, I felt it was quite tenuous. Yes, they were both um, pioneers in abstraction. They were both working at the same time. But then it got to, oh, they he painted flowers, she painted flowers. And, you know, he liked trees, she liked trees. And, and I didn't, and especially the bit about the ether in the middle, it, it just felt very kind of slow and quite turgid, which is the opposite of what it felt at the end with this nice. joy. So if I would say to people, go to that last room, run around the exhibition, <laughs> go and sit in that last room for 20 minutes, half an hour and really soak it in. Um, but I think the rest of the show for me is, is why I'm a little bit sceptical about whether it should make the top five. But maybe we'll put in the last room in our top five. How does that sound? Yes, I think yes, I think definitely the last room, and it's it's um it's of a price. It's um it's twenty pounds. Um, so that's it's a lot for one very good room. Yeah, no, uh, no, absolutely. Again, but, half price if you've got an art fun card, but you know, um, exactly. Even, even so, uh, 
And then, um, I mean, maybe we should mention very quickly the other ones that we were considering. Oh, we um, also need to say where it is. It was at Tate. It's at Tate Modern. If you oh, want yes. to go and see see the stunning final room, Tate Modern until September the third. What I would say is the. Um, Maybe we should mention very quickly the ones that could potentially be, if that one's not talking to you, that potentially might be interested in. Uh, we also had a little bit of a debate, didn't we, about Dear Earth at the Hayward Gallery. Yes. Um, we, I'll, I'll tell you what I liked about it. Um, I, so it's all about artists' responses to, you know, the, our, our climate emergency um, and the Earth. But it did feel like uh, quite a love letter to our planet, which I quite liked. And there was... For a subject which can often be quite depressing, I thought there were moments of real sort of joy and happiness. Yes. Um, for example, yeah, exactly. The Corn- it was Cornelia Parker's film. That's right, with yeah. the with the children who are six and seven, talking about you know the world, and they just had that. Um, it was just witty and kind of full of hope and things like that. And there were moments that were just just like that. Um, and there's also one bit which actually made me cry, which was the um, the installation video upstairs where you had the kind of mapping on the left-hand side of the um, destruction of uh, the, the rainforest. Is it the mining? Yes. Uh, and then you had such a direct piece to camera um, by, um, you know, um, by this um, communal leader who was just making an appeal. He was like, don't just come here and film our destruction. Come here and give us health, give us support, fight for us. And it was so direct um, that actually brought tears to my eyes. So so I, I think in many ways it was very powerful. But And I liked that they gave enough, or like a room to an artist, there was enough space to explore yes. an artist's work. What I, I just didn't feel it really hung together Um you know, as kind of overall as a show. I think the Hayward has been, it does such brilliant shows that are so memorable and innovative. For me, this just didn't feel like it quite hit yeah. what I would, what I normally expect. Yeah, no, uh, for me, the highlight was Bird Watching 3 up on the roof. With oh, all yes. The, which individual bird's eyes sort of in the shape of an eye. And then there's also, um, I think there's going to be... Uh, projections onto the wall or the outside wall of the Hayward so you'll be able to see that as you come across from Waterloo Bridge but I haven't been across and did you speak into so when you speak into the eye did you speak into the microphone no I didn't speak into the microphone so on the roof um so you've got these eyes but uh, there's a microphone with a light chin uh, like a dish holding a microphone light and when you speak into it it translates it into um bird song and i think um i think it's from london zoo um and and so that's quite a fun little interactive for kids yeah. and for adults um so you'll have to go back and, and speak bird at some point maybe <laughs> absolutely but I, I i have my i'm uh, a member of the south bank so i can pop into the haywood at any point so i shall definitely do that that sounds good. Was there any others that we thought maybe might make our, our list? Or well, There's one that I haven't been to and everybody I've spoken to says it's absolutely marvellous, which is Bert Morisot or Berth Morisot. Not sure how you pronounce it. I have heard such good things about this. So maybe our sixth one should be one that we are both excited to go and see. Maybe we should make a promise that we will both go and see it. Absolutely. We need to get our diaries out after this and set a date. Definitely. But what, what can you tell me about this show? She, Berth, was the only female member of the Impressionist group. 
I that's quite nice because <laughs> I, I think I think a, a part of the thing with the impressionism and again maybe this relates back to what we're saying um earlier about Hildreth Clint is you think about it as a male movement and you think about it you know very much as the male artist so to have it from like a female gaze and a female artist who let's be honest isn't really well known that's that's quite exciting and something quite different and her work is meant to be just stunning as well in its own right uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm I'm really keen to see it. And it's well, it's at the Dulwich Picture Gallery, which is always a joy to visit. And it has a particularly fine cafe. Yes. And they also, again, for my family audience, they have a special family festival called Mark Makers inspired by this exhibition. And that's on the Saturday 22nd of July, which you can book now. Excellent. And so that is on until the 10th of September and costs £16.50. It's been great to talk to you, Catherine, and just compare notes about what we've seen. Um, and I like the fact that we've there's some that, you know, we we both still have things to see. It's just a very exciting summer. For- so that's it. That's our first podcast. We're both huddled underneath duvets which you can't see um and it's about 28 degrees (laughs) i'm I'm gonna go and have a an iced drink after this Uh, me too i think so there we have it our favorite exhibitions or otherwise to see this summer in london we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the exhibitionists we've loved sharing our thoughts with you and thanks so much for listening We want to know what's top of your visit wish list. Come and tell us over on Instagram at The Exhibitionist Pod. You can find me, Vicky, at Museum Mum. Or me, Catherine, at Cultural Wednesday. And if you've enjoyed this show, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. The music is Positive Hip Hop by Max Co Music from Chusick. See you next time on The Exhibitionists. Until then, stay curious and enjoy those cultural adventures.